Let's take it to the edge. Let's get the flitting. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives, and this is episode number 019 of The Knife Perspective. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk to Sean Molenbelt, but first, let's hear from Kyle. How are you doing tonight, Kyle? Pretty good, Dan. I'm uh, ready to go. Been following Sean on Instagram for quite a while and excited to talk with him and know a little bit more about him. It is going to be a fun and exciting evening. How are you doing, Dan? Um, I'm, I'm ready for the week to be finished. Yeah. Uh, Christmas rush is always just a little, it, it, it's a special time at our shop. So, uh, yeah. So we got uh, John Kaufman of Dragonfly Blade Works sponsoring the podcast now. He's a, a new sponsor. We mentioned him in the last show, and uh, he does some very unique uh, handle pinouts with a lot of eighth-inch pins on the top and Usually a larger one towards the bottom. Yep. Um, he does some really cool um, uh, cutout pins. Uh, I think he's done the Dragonfly most recently, but he does some cool, really fine detail pin work. Uh, Very cool. And he does some really cool spikes. Uh, yeah, those kinda, like uh, kind of almost like a shiv type thing. Yeah, I was trying to find a classier word for it, but yeah, pretty much so. But they're pretty cool. Sorry, John. We we don't know what the na- the actual name is. Uh, I, I believe it is the bad A spike. I believe that's the technical term for it. Oh yeah. Uh, so and then we got Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives also is the the sponsors for the podcast. And uh, we've got our dealers, Old Town Cutlery. They carry Dogwood Custom Knives, Cage Daily Knives, and Dragonfly Blade Works knives. Also, uh, Knife Center carries a lot of Dogwood Custom Knives. And uh, Knife House is going to be carrying a bunch of Dogwood Custom Knives soon. Yes, they are. Um, actually, I I kind of secret sharpened them, shopper, secret shoppered them the other day. And they've sold about half of mine so far. Really? So, yep. I don't have a link to their, uh, to their website, so it just says the website's coming. All right, I will. Uh, I will check on that. I'll get yeah. you an updated link. And I mentioned that only because I'm about to shut the shop down for about three months. So if you don't have one, you're going to have trouble finding them pretty soon. It's a temporary thing. Uh, yep. We hope you get back at it soon. Yep. Yeah, I've just uh, um, they're putting uh, cadaver tissue in my elbow, and I told him I told the surgeon I specifically wanted. Uh, an elbow from a 23 year old or younger. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, we got shout outs and reviews, gear talk stuff. Uh, I got a new, a new old book again. I've spent way too much money on books this year. Uh, this book was from. That's an investment. Yeah. From 1993, a new old book. 
Robert L. Gaddis wrote uh, Randall Made Knives, and I've read about uh, 40 or 50 pages into it. Uh, there's a bunch of really cool pictures of all the different models and the even some of the variations between all the different models. So that was uh, super cool, I thought. Very and uh looking forward to to reading more about uh some randall knives uh is it like a collector's um guidebook on like if it has this characteristic it was made during this timeline or is it is it more of of how it's made it seems like it's uh he has a big collection and this is an entire like uh all about bo randall like from beginning or from early kid on Oh, so it's the maker and, and his knives. Yeah, it's not. It's not just uh, like identification book. It's uh, it's more of like a kind of like a history book. Cool. So, pretty excited for that one. I want to give a shout out to the King of Camo. Uh, they've been doing some laser engraving for me, and I have been really impressed. Um, awesome. They. Uh, you know, some of the people that I've worked with have given me a little bit of a hassle about working with knife steels. It has not been a problem for him. He's been really good about, you know, I, I don't always, I, I get my graphics from the client, so I never know what I'm going to get. I never know the format or the quality. And he's been great about being able to work with, with whatever I send him. And it's usually a very reasonable upcharge to, to reformat or, to clean up the graphics, which was nice because some of the people I've worked with in the past, that was on me. And as we've established, I'm not a computer guy. So I would waste. I'm surprised you even know what format you would need. Uh, I don't. Um, <laughs> usually whoever's doing the engraving for me sends it back and there's a bunch of gibberish. And then that's the first hour of the whole project is translating the gibberish. <laughs> Going to Google and uh, what does. Uh... PNG mean? Oh, that's that's Procter and Gamble. I didn't know you <laughs> traded on stocks. <laughs> uh, and then a little bit of nepotism, but I'm going to throw a shout out to uh, to my son Alex, who had his first professional article uh, published on the Knife Magazine uh, website. Link below, cool, man. Congratulations, Alex. Very proud of him. Um, as does he, does he listen to the podcast? Um, I think he actually does. Oh, all right, man. Um, that's actually where our sixth sixth listener has come from. Nice. I thought we were at seven, though. Uh, no, my mom quit listening. Uh, apparently, the language was a little offensive for her. Oh, well, usually that's all beeped out with uh, R2-D2. Yeah, but she knows what I was saying. Cool. Well, congratulations, Alex, and uh, look forward to reading more of your stuff in the future. Yes, yeah, as, as a dyslexic college dropout, I have been blown up. Well, actually, let me say this. All joking aside, I'm very impressed. He, he has done very well. The tongue-in-cheek side is, especially considering his dad is a dyslexic college dropout, it's amazing how well he's done. At least he, his dad tries really hard, and that's, uh, that's the, the big thing is just teaching him how to to keep going and persevering through stuff. Uh, and as somebody who has to, uh, to deal with my show notes, you, you understand the challenge. Yeah. I, I remember meeting him when 2012 and they were, they were, both of them were really, uh, really courteous and, uh, very respectful. Um, 
those boys are the two best thing I've ever done in my life. And Mary Beth. Um, that would be that we both know that really wasn't up to me. That was Beth's decision. <laughs> yeah. All right. And uh, we have a giveaway announcement. We uh, talked about it a little bit. Oh, in, no, no, you uh, got to use like you got to use like a big voice for that. You got to oh, give 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 giveaway announcement. There we How's go. That? Much better. <laughs> so uh, one of our good friends, Paxton of Fifty Fifty Four, John Instagram. He he makes some pretty awesome Damascus. I've made one knife out of it and have a couple more billets on the shelf that i haven't quite gotten to yet but he uh, was changing his press dies hydraulic press dies out of what i've gathered from it one of them fell and smashed his right index finger and he ended up losing the the first two joints on his right finger yeah no he didn't lo- he didn't lose those he knows exactly where they are yeah well yeah they he's not there anymore a bunch of things that i didn't even think about when when i first saw it he's he's uh posted up some some funny like Instagram stories kind of making light of the deal, but like uh, not being able to pull the trigger with the right hand, with his right hand on his gun and uh, being able to use a mouse and stuff like that are all going to be uh, completely new for him to, to work through. But uh, uh, I'll be, uh, I posted a video uh, on our knife perspective, Instagram and our uh, Facebook page that uh, we're going to be doing a giveaway for some donations. We're trying to raise some money for uh, Paxton for uh, bills that he's going to have and uh, the downtime that he's going to have. And um, yeah, so and if, well, uh, for, your, for your different donations, huh? I said we're uh, are we we're auctioning off, or are we going to donations for every time you donate, yeah. you get a. Uh, a number of yeah, for every, every five five dollar donation you'll get uh, one entry and then uh, uh, I'll, I put in a seven inch santoku with some uh, beyond woods products uh, deep sea shockwood it's got thorn file work uh, really cool blade and uh, dragonfly blade works is going to be making one he's uh, working on it right now and I believe uh, you were talking about possibly having one uh, one of the last ones before your your big bicep surgery. Yep. Uh, the the good people at Dogwood Custom Knives will be donating the last knife uh, to be made. Uh, it's 2019. Yeah. So the last knife from 2019 to come out of the shop. And it'll also, uh, I think we've talked about that I had a surgery coming up or Short version is it's gone from maybe to uh, end of the year. I'm having the biceps tendon reattached and I will be out of work for about three months. Now yeah, we I definitely hope you uh, get a speedy recovery and we'll be, uh, be a lot more podcasting opportunity. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, heck, I mean, gosh, <laughs> I might even be able to start helping with this, um, this editing that you seem to be keep going on and on about. Computers. I think I'll still hold the reins on that one. Really? Now, now, why would you feel the need to do that? Uh, all right. So uh, tonight we have uh, <laughs> Sean. He's a uh, Army veteran. He was also on Forged and Fire. And a few years ago, he started a company, 51 Bravo. And he makes some awesome bushcraft-style blades and has even started making a couple of uh, kitchen knives. Uh, Dan and I both make a bunch of those. And uh, uh, we had a couple of conversations about... Uh, some different things 
So been fun talking with him and um, interested in learning a little bit more about him. Want to uh, say hi, Sean? Hey, how are you? Awesome. We're doing pretty good. So uh want to start off. Where where did you end up? Where'd you grow up? Is that a, is that a very simple answer? Or? <laughs> well, it's a super simple answer. It's uh, a little town called Hopkins, Michigan. And uh, I still, well, I lived all over the place, but uh, Hopkins is where I started and I'm pretty much back there now. So n- not even a traffic light. Oh, sometimes that's pretty nice. Yeah. I live in, <laughs> and, I live in the suburbs of Chicago and it's uh, the traffic can get maddening. Oh, definitely. I worked there for a year uh, out of college. I worked in uh, Schaumburg. Really? Yeah. yeah. I know where that's at. That's pretty close to where I am and I'm in Wheaton. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fairly close. Yep. It was a, a building company called Pasquinelli construction. Oh, nice. Yep. What's uh, let's start with what was your, what's your first knife? Uh, what was the first knife you remember getting? The first knife I remember getting boy, you know, honestly, I'm sure actually it was one, it was an, a K bar that got given to me as soon as they figured I was old enough. So I'm guessing maybe 12. That was my grandpa's that, uh, he used to skin deer with. So it wasn't the big K bar. I don't even know what model it is, but you know, maybe overall length, maybe like eight inches or something. It's a, just a small to medium sized K bar. Still got it somewhere. Eight inches is a lot bigger than you think it is. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> That's a fairly sizable knife. Okay. All right. Yeah. No innuendo there. Uh, how'd you meet your wife and where does it uh, rank on the, the Dan Kyle scale? I, you know, I, I guess I don't know if, if you guys are running on like a one to 10 or whatever, but um, I actually so, met uh, Dan, Dan, met his Dan met his uh, wife at her grandmother's wake. And I met my wife on eHarmony. <laughs> um, I met my wife at college. She was my next door neighbor. And, uh, uh, she had like three or four roommates. I had three or four roommates and, uh, we kind of just hung out, partied together for a semester and ended up dating after that. So I don't know really where that ranks relative to you guys. Uh, what kind of college was it? Uh, it was one called Western Michigan university an actual college. I mean, it's, it's no Purdue or anything, you know, but yeah. <laughs> One of my coworkers went to Western Michigan, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I might have to say that's more Kyle than Dan. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably go with that, too. <laughs> Congratulations, you're normal. <laughs> <laughs> thank God. Thank God. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's fine for some people. It's a little boring for me, but I get it. <laughs> nice. So, uh, you... You're full-time knife maker now? Uh, no, I'm I'm actually still building. Uh, I'm a builder and remodeler, and I kind of use that as a filler in between, uh, especially this time of year. I'm able to make more knives and stuff because it's a little bit uh, slower for the winter. But So, yeah, I'm kind of still on the fence. So, uh, I don't know. It's probably 50-50 right now between building and knife making. So, you're balancing two jobs in a family oh, right now? yeah. Yep. Um, and how do you make that work? Well, 
for me mostly because my my wife runs runs the show man so <laughs> she's she's got a real job too she's my sugar mama so that uh that's always a good thing you know so if i fall flat on my face she's got a pretty good gig going too so but yeah she and the kids are older now we've got one in high school and the other two are out that helps but yeah, I mean, it's a tough balance, but I know you guys are the, in the same boat, you know, it's just, it's something I enjoy doing the knife portion. So it doesn't feel so much like work, but yeah, I, I like to say I haven't worked a day in the last seven years. That's awesome. That's my goal too, man. Uh, and when you love what you do, it's not really work. Yeah, exactly. That's where I'm at. You know, I can, I can be on the shop for hours. Does not even phase me. Yeah, I can be out in the shop for a long time, but this time of year when it gets cold, it's uh I don't have a heater out there. Oh man. So I end up having to use like an electric heater or something and uh still gets uh pretty cold. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't I, I don't need the shop because it's warehouse space. But down here in South Carolina where it's God's country, it was 60 degrees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all oh. right, all right. It was it was a little cold this morning. It was 50 degrees. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think we topped out about 25 today. Oof, I think, yeah, I had to put a sweatshirt on today, too. <laughs> Man. <laughs> well, you're, you're probably full-on huge uh, winter coat. No, no, no. I, I mean, if it gets down to the 40s, then I'll put my parka on. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so 51 Bravo, what does that mean? That means I was, uh, right out of high school. Well, I went to junior college for a year and then, uh, that was kind of like 13th grade for me, you know, living at home still and kind of doing that deal. So I decided that I needed to make a change. So I went in the service and, uh, the army classifies all the different jobs with, with codes or whatever. So like 51 Bravo, I was a carpenter and Mason in the army that was the training i received pretty much had a pretty good handle on it going in but uh yeah that was my army job carpenter um how long did you do that i did let's see i signed up for four years and i did two on active duty and then i learned about this uh for lack of a better term it's called a green to gold program where i was able to because i had a year of college i was able to get out and then go back home, go to college, get my degree and be in the ROTC program at college. So I was in the guard and ROTC at the same time, became an officer. And then I was a platoon leader. So I did two years active and then like five or six, six, uh, in the national guard as a platoon leader. Mm -hmm. An officer and a pogue. <laughs> a pogue officer. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kyle, you're going to have to take the rest of this interview, man. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so when you were at college, uh, what, what did you, uh, what did you study there? Construction management. So it kind of okay. all, yeah, it all kind of fell hand in hand. In fact, the platoon, I was a platoon leader of, uh, in the guard was also, uh, we were a construction platoon. So very cool. Yeah. So after, after you graduated college, did you have to do any more service time or was that part of the ROTC or 
Yeah, well, the, then my ROTC time was done, and then I was officially commissioned as an officer. So I think I did another three years there as a platoon leader, and then that unit actually got disbanded. And uh, when you're an officer, basically it's kind of an open-ended contract almost. So they, when the unit got disbanded, they really didn't have a slot to put me in. So they said, well, you can go on what they call inactive ready reserve, um, which basically means you're not assigned to a unit, but you can be at any given time. And I had less than a year left on my hitch anyway. So I just kind of went into I guess, you know, IRR, they call it, or basically early retirement with the understanding that they call me if they need me. So I kind of faded into the sunset after the unit got disbanded, which was fine with me at the time. Nice. So uh, for your knife making, you said you worked in uh, worked in Chicago for a year. Didn't you move back to, to Michigan after yep. that? Yeah, moved back. How'd that work? I, I couldn't do the... Um, see, my wife's from the east side of Michigan over by Detroit, so we moved to the suburbs of Chicago, and it was no big deal for her. But me being from a town without even a traffic light, you know, suburbia was just, I could not deal with that, man. I made it, I said I would make it exactly one year, and that's what I did. Day, I think day 366, we were loading the rider truck to come back, man, because I just did not do well in suburbia. Came back here and and worked in construction here ever since. Went off on my own, you know, shortly thereafter. I've been doing my own building and remodeling thing for quite a while now. Now, how'd you get started in knives? My brother, which I don't know if both of you guys know him or not. I know Kyle does for sure. And I, I also don't know if I'm allowed to even bring him up or not. <laughs> Well, you already have yeah, now, yeah, I know. so, so kind of we might have to edit him out. But no, um, Jason, uh, who is with Diomedes Industries, and he does leather sheath work and stuff now, but he started making knives maybe, gosh, seven or eight years ago. And that was when he was down in Texas. He came home and was kind of showing me about it, and that kind of sparked an interest. But then couple years later, I thought I would really try it. So I started watching old uh, Walter Sorrell's videos, right? So made made a file knife probably pushing four years ago by now, and it just stuck. I just kind of kept at it, kept trying to make them. So, yeah, I don't really even know why. It had been all, you know, lumber, wooden, wooden construction until then. But maybe that's part of it, just because i never done it before. Uh, so you're, you're completely self-taught? I went, I was self-taught for quite some time. And then um, my brother introduced me to uh, Andy Roy down at Fiddleback. In fact, we went to the first Blade show, I think, three years ago. So I got to meet Andy and he offered to have me come down and he'd show me a few things. So I trained with him, you know, for like three or four days, hung out with them, learned a lot. And uh, then there's another guy up here in Michigan. He was on Forest and Fire as well, um, named David McConnell with Northwoods Forge. He uh, he was on season two of Forged and Fire. I hooked up with him and learned kind of the blacksmithing side of things. I mean, enough to make a knife. He's an actual blacksmith, so he's awesome. I know enough to you know to make a knife, but that's about it, really, in the blacksmithing portion. So I would guess between those two guys, I kind of learned quite a bit but yeah then the rest is just learning on my own cool 
I didn't realize you were uh, Jason's brother. Never made the connection you there. Didn't? Oh my god, that's really cool. Yeah, see, I thought you no. knew that. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, six young, six years. Ah, uh, that's what it is. Younger brothers can be that way. <laughs> yep, that's him. So yeah, we we talk about all this stuff all the time. Collaborate on a lot of stuff. So yeah, he does some phenomenal leather. Oh work. man, yeah, I know. He made my first custom leather sheath I ever had. Oh, really? It was actually for uh, Andy, one of Andy's fiddleback uh, bushcrafters. Okay. It was my uh, my my wife got it for me for our our first wedding anniversary, first Christmas together. Oh, wow, that's awesome! Yeah, because we went down to Blade maybe three years ago, and that's when I really got hooked on it. And he introduced me around to you know to Andy as many people as he knew. So I don't think he knew you quite yet, but yeah. Starting uh, two years ago, he definitely did. I didn't have a I didn't have a table or anything down there. Uh, I've just had a table there the last two years. Right, right. So I wasn't there three years ago. Okay. You uh, you were around three years ago. You just didn't have a table yet. Uh, I didn't. I missed the, I missed the knife or I missed Blade Show three years ago. But I was there four years ago. Okay, because um, that's when. No, you. I thought you'd been around more than that because we took you to Andy's shop like five or six years ago, didn't we? That was in 2012, seven oh. years ago. Wow. God, it's been that long. Yeah. <laughs> One of us is getting old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that kicked me off on buying a whole bunch of stuff to make knives. And then I didn't end up make actually making my first knife until 2015. Yeah, sorry about that. dude. Yeah. It took me like three years kind of building up stuff and a lot of crazy things happened with my actual job and then uh, finally got around to making one. Well, in a, in a lot of ways you did it the smart way and you eased in rather than just jumping into the deep end and going, Oh wait, now how am I going to do this? Yeah. <laughs> lots, of, lots of people uh, ask me how, how long does it take you to make one of these? I said, well, my first one took me three years. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, Oh, Okay. So you're not very efficient is what I'm getting. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a lot more efficient now, but right. yeah, it was a, a little bit too, a little bit more of a perfectionist and uh, yeah, can't seem to let it go. So did a ton of research and everything, which, which helped out. I didn't, didn't have, or didn't know of anybody at the time that I could go, go visit very easily. So that made it a little bit or longer. Right. Yeah, it's like you approached it you're an engineer or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Sean, what are some of your uh, your influences for your designs? Well, uh, like I say, since since I learned a lot from Andy, you know, I really like their design. Although I try to do my best to not mimic that too much, you know, like because uh, I love uh, Russell Reese's stuff, Kohutas. I do really like that stuff, but for me, it's more about function than anything. I worry about, you know, shape and what, what is, what, what task does the knife have first and then maybe aesthetic second, but that's kind of how I usually approach it is uh, function first and then form. Uh, that makes sense. What kind of, what kind of functions do you focus on? Well, especially this time of year, um, I've got a design that I've done just tons for every every year when uh, whitetail season fires up here in Michigan. It's uh, well, bow season opens in October and then it's gun season in November. 
and uh, I've got a uh, a Skinner that I do just a ton of, kind of based on that old uh, sharp finger pattern almost. The blade shape is kind of like that, and uh, I sell a lot of those this time of year. So, you know, something with that in mind, whether it be wild game or fish or, you know, fowl or whatever I'm trying to deal with, that's that's what I'm keeping in mind. Nice. So what are, uh, one of the questions we had from, uh, from a listener of the podcast, Ben Palmer, uh, sent the question in and it's uh, going to be a pretty standard question for a lot of our makers, I believe. Okay. It's how do you, how do you make your knives stand out? Uh, what are, what are some things that make your, your knives different than other knives? That's a tough call. It's that kind of is the, the million dollar question, isn't it? You don't, you want to, uh, do something unique, but, uh, just not too far out there. So I don't know. I guess I've been doing a lot of, I tend to leave when I forge things out, I leave the, uh, the flats. I'll leave that with, with the mill scale and the, the hammer marks on there, and then just do a nice, uh, flat grind below that. So there's a real, I like that real sharp contrast between the two. So I know a lot of other makers are doing that probably, but, uh, you know, I just really like that contrast between the two, just some different things with the, the pin out and stuff. Again, learning from Andy, they can do all kinds of crazy pin outs. So I try not to, to mimic them too much, but you know, I, they kind of inspire me to do just not, you know, three pins straight down the middle or whatever too. So, yeah. What are some of your opinions on the different knife thicknesses and knife steels? I'm getting, because so far I haven't worked with stainless yet. I think that's probably going to be my next purchase is an even heat. So right now it's all, you know, 1080, 1084, 1075, 5160, all the stuff that I can you know to just use with my basic forge and a, and a basic oven. But I am getting thinner with my blade steel. I think I was kind of overkilling for a while. But now it's pretty much an eighth. I use mostly eighth on a lot of things, five thirty seconds. And then I'm not 100% sure. I just kind of started getting into the kitchen knives, so I'm not sure. I think I might even be need to be a little bit thinner than an eighth. I'm not sure. You guys would be the people to ask. Well, for my kitchen knives, I'm usually... I usually use three thirty seconds, which comes in at like 110 thousandths. Um, so that. That's what I use a lot. I know Dan goes like down to like 093 oh, wow. and uh, yeah. even thinner for some um, of his stuff. It depends on the steel and the style. I mean, the the Japanese blade geometry has done a lot of things with thin, hard bra- blades that are an inspiration for me. Especially when you're using particle steels, you can get those thinness. I'm with Kyle. I like 330 seconds with, with even with the, the simple alloys, the modern steels. 330 seconds is a, a good line. And you still see some of the old French and German patterns at an eighth of an inch, but I, I found that's that's thicker than I like to work with. Right. Okay. Yeah, because honestly, I just kind of... You got to grind a lot more steel off, too. Yeah, right, right. I started working with uh, 52-100, uh, ju- you know, just within the last couple months. So I was starting with five thirty seconds. It probably ends up grinding out to about an eighth after the full grind up to the spine, but still I was thinking it was kind of on the thick side. So yeah, I think that's going to be my next thing on the agenda. Get some thinner steel. Well, and part of it is depending on who you're work, who you're making your knife for. I mean, like a, a chef that uses it for eight or 10 hours a day, 
it's it's not just the efficiency of the grind. It's also the fatiguing of the weight. Right. So the more weight you can shoot off that blade, yep. not only will it cut more efficiently, but it's less fatiguing for them. Yeah, makes perfect sense. I guess for me, I just didn't – I assumed that chefs and most of the people would want stainless. So I never really thought about it too much. And the more I talked to chefs, the more they said they liked – they have both, but they really like the high carbon steel. Yeah. Um, so some of them are purists that like the high carbon steel, but some places, like some of the health inspectors, don't understand that all rust is oxidation, but not all oxidation is rust. Okay. So I've worked with some guys that can't have simple carbon steel because they'll get dinged by the health inspectors. Ah, uh, okay. And then you also run into maintenance and edge retention 1095 is a phenomenal steel but if you're using it day in day out right if you want to right. compare it edge retention on s35 vn you've got something that's zero that's basically zero maintenance with better edge retention yeah yeah and it's stainless. a balancing act of who you're making for yeah right right uh the analogy i like to use it's it's like a classic car carbon steel is like my 65 mustang Yep. It's a lot of work, but it's it's fun to drive. I've got the the skill set to maintain it. It's power nothing. When I roll down the road, you know that I've got a certain level of skill to be able to have this car. Yep. But my wife can climb in a 2019 and blow the doors off of me. <laughs> and that's the difference between the modern particle steels and some of the old carbon steels. Yep. It's beautiful. You really know what you're doing. You can maintain it. Or for a whole lot less work, you can get better performance. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that perfect analogy. And some guys want some guys want that connection to the blade. They want to put the maintenance in. They love doing it. And some people it's just a tool and they want to go to work. Right. Exactly. I'm sorry. Man, you start talking about kitchen knives and I'll I'll go on for for days. I didn't mean to get carried away. <laughs> no. No, it's great. Dan Dan loves his particle seals. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just because it's God's steel doesn't mean. Okay, yeah, I, I won't. <laughs> I drank the Kool Aid. <laughs> it was yummy. A little bitter at the end, but <laughs> it's biblical. Look it up. <laughs> yeah, I, it was on the third tablet that Moses dropped. That's right. I have these 15. No, wait, 10. <laughs> 10 commands. Oh. Um, what, uh, what's your, what's your favorite, uh, either production or custom knife that you haven't made? You know what? I've been using a lot of just because through my work and everything, I tend to carry a folder, just one that I can use for in construction for general stuff. And I use a company called Steel Will, and uh, I found them down at Blade Show. I had never heard of them before. They do like just an like a forty fifty dollar knife out of D two, and if you want to spend the money, you can spend one hundred fifty bucks. And the knives, uh, I think they're M three ninety or something out of their Italian plant, same blade, but everything's all upgraded. Or you can just get their basic one from D two, and I have like four or five. Uh, steel wills and i just use the hell out of them i really like them i don't mind the d2 either it seems to hold an edge pretty well and and will take an edge pretty decent 
Yeah, I would say, you know, as far as production level stuff, just on a daily basis, that for sure. Sounds like a good uh, a good balance between cost and production or uh, cost and performance, rather. Right, exactly. And like I say, they, they do a lot of collaboration, too. It seems like every model comes out. They, I don't know how much they actually design themselves if they just find guys that are making cool stuff and, and then just you know, collaborate with them and then make it one of their models, I guess. Yeah. I know a lot of construction guys really abuse the, put their knives through the ringer too. So. Oh, big time. I don't want to use something too terribly expensive. Well, right. you mean the wire cutter, nail cutter, uh, pry bar. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> the sharpened pry bar. Yeah. Yep. And then after you break the tip off the screwdriver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that's when you just took it to a pedestal grinder and ground a new point back on it. <laughs> Yep, exactly. Exactly. That's why you have a that's why you have a three quarter inch blade on your on your four inch folding knife. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. It's one of one of my coworkers, he had a Ken Onion, um I forget which model it was, but it had like a real uh long pointy blade and he bought a new one and it was literally an in over an inch longer. Oh and he bought the exact same <laughs> model, but he had he had ground an inch off of it over all the years he had used it That's as a funny. screwdriver pick and stuff. I'm going to have to figure that out. Speaking of Ken Onion, I have an old uh, Kershaw blur that is, I guarantee you, it's probably in about that same boat. If I were to buy a new one, it's about the same way. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I saw on your website you uh, you were making some Yakut style knives. That's uh that's a pretty uncommon design in the States. Uh, how'd you learn about that? That was uh, one of the other shows I like to watch is uh, it's on Disco- uh, history as well called alone. Have you guys seen that? Mm-hmm. It's they take uh, folks and just dump them in the middle of nowhere with 10 items and whatever's on their back. And uh, the guy who won that this year, his name is Jordan Jonas. And he actually lived in Russia for I don't know how many years with, uh, I think he called it the Ivanki tribe. They're reindeer herders. He lived with these guys for I don't know how many years. So he came back to the States and then like going on alone, that was just no big deal. That was just like <laughs> everyday life for him for the last 10 years. And uh, I got to talking to him and asked about making him a knife and he sent me a video that was all in Russian uh, with that model knife and said, can you make me something like this? That's kind of where it started because I'd never heard of it until he showed it to me. Yeah, that the very distinctive shape comes from, uh, it was traditionally made from the, the uh, femur bone of a uh, reindeer. Is that correct? Yep. That's the way he explained it to me. Do you use, do you envision that more as a, a general purpose, like a bushcrafting blade or, or how do you see that being used in the States? Yeah, that uh, that's pretty much the way I envisioned it, um, because believe it or not, once once I kind of got it down, um, it's pretty functional blade. He, because it's flat on one side and you got like a, a convex grind on the other side, you wouldn't think you'd think it'd be a kind of a specialized blade. But I mean, honestly, it works just about like any other bushcraft blade. You know, I, it really does. I don't know that there's any huge advantages to it, uh, you know, other than tradition or whatever. But um, and it's it, it's it's convex and concave, isn't it? I mean, you've got the the hollow on one side. Yep, yep. Uh-huh. So, um, and I, you know, just kind of 
the way I think that is because the, the old, old, old blades were the actual shin bone itself. So I kind of envision that they basically just split the shin bone or whatever down the middle and then sharpened one side, you know, so it's kind of hollow in the middle. So now the, the steel ones are kind of designed to mimic that, but yeah, hollow in one side and then convex grind on the, on the other. Um, and it's, uh... You almost get a, a chisel convex hybrid because it's concave and convex, but at the edge it's it's flat and convex. Yeah, or, yep. yeah, flat and convex. Flat and convex. It's like yep. a chisel convex. Yeah. Yep, that's uh, exactly right. So because of that, you can get you can get a real thin slice on a lot of different things because of that shape. Yeah. And I guess the flat would kind of plane out almost like a sushi knife. Right. Um, so you can make long thin cuts and then the the concave or the convex helps because it works almost like a chip breaker so you can make really long thin cuts on things exactly yeah and not dig in too bad because of the convex yep um i i bet it would uh, i wonder how that would work as a leather working tool it probably would be awesome as far as like uh I don't know, as far as processing game and stuff, I could see that being a real valuable, you know, like uh, when you're dealing with the hide and fleshing things out and that type of thing. I bet you it super excels at that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, well, that's going to be worth a little investigation. So if you would, if you were wanting to use that like uh, right or left-handed, would you want to flip that hollow section to the other you side? Definitely or would. Yes. Is it like serrations? Or? Yep. He was very specific as to what side he wanted to be flat and one side, what side he wanted to be concave because he is right-handed. Exactly right. They're yeah. they're not necessarily ambidextrous. Yeah. One of one of my prized possessions is a, a Yakuza-style knife that uh, Gorn at Tan and Boca made for me, but it's uh, left-handed. Okay. Um, I, I have one of the very rare left-handed Yakut knives. Wow, that's cool. Are you, you're not left-handed, are you? Yeah. Oh, but, I guess I didn't know. Or but since I'm dyslexic, that. all my knives come out right-handed, so it's, it's okay. <laughs> nice. Oh, I have to build them in a mirror. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. You also make a, a kukri with a, like a more of a kind of a bump there at the the front of the handle is there a particular reason you do it that way or usually there's like a kind of more of a transition right right they the way i understand that is a lot of times uh makers that i see will will put a couple grooves into that i guess that bump there in front of your handle number one supposedly it's you know you don't want your hand to, to ride up on that blade when you're using it but two the way i've heard it anyway is they put a couple grooves in that bump and that's uh so blood doesn't run from the blade down onto your hand and make your hand all slippery it's supposed to it's like a you know like a fuller or a, or a blood groove almost like a notch or something supposedly uh, i've also heard that it uh depending on the shape of that because it's always a very distinctive crescent moon with a raised section that yeah. it's like a maker's mark that depending on the ratio of the curvature and the the size of the notch that that's the the maker's mark ah okay which makes perfect sense. I don't. I haven't put those grooves or notches in there because I haven't done enough research. It just feels like you know I'm make I'm making a stress riser or a place for it to 
for it to fail, you know? Gotcha. Cool. Uh, on to knife making, what's your, your favorite tool in the shop? Oh, well, that's a tough call. I mean, I think it's going to, huh, depends on what I'm making, um, but I it's got to be the grinder. Right now, I'm still using my old uh, original 2x72 that I got from uh, Chris over at uh, Wilmot Grinders, but I've got a brand new one coming uh, hopefully next week or maybe the week following, so that one I'm real pumped up about, so... I know already with all the attachments and capabilities that this thing's going to have that that that's going to be my new favorite tool for sure. But I, I pretty much the grinder, I think you just get most of the work done there anyway. So, and that's a two by 72. Yeah. Two by 72. Yep. What's your most used uh, attachment for that? Use the, the big wheels or mainly the flat platen or it's, it's mainly the flat platen. Yeah. Um, I'm starting to, well, and I use the wheels mostly to for handle shaping because Andy showed me how to do it. So I do it like Andy does. So that's mostly with an eight inch wheel and a two inch wheel. Um, but I haven't done much in the way of uh, hollow grinds or anything like that. I, Is that for the palm swell? Yeah. Yep. Uh, inch, two inch. Yep. He pretty much. Uh, yeah. He, we make the the palm swell with the the eight inch, and then kind of contour the the top of it from the spine around on the eight inch as well. And then when you flip it over on the bottom side, you use the two inch to, to kind of sh- contour that and shape it in. So you use a two inch instead of a one inch. Yep. Huh? I do. I guess that keeps it from digging in as much. You don't get as much dwell marks. Yeah. Right. Right. And I guess, you know, a lot of times when I'm going to my final finish, I use the small wheels, you know, I use my small wheel attachment and, I don't even know what size that is, you know, maybe a one inch or a three quarter, probably a one for the final finishing mm. shaping and stuff. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. I use a, uh, use a three quarter and a, and a one inch, uh, on mine, depending on if it's a paring knife or a boning knife versus a, a bigger chef's knife. Right. Yeah. And I've, I'm always nervous about going smaller than a one inch because the dwell marks show so easily. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Trying to keep that constant motion is a trick for me. For my my boning knife, I just feel like that needs to be a little bit tighter, tighter radius in that uh, at the front of the handle. Yeah. No, that's that was one of those. That's one of those balances where I see it, but on the same point, I'm like, oh god, that's going to be a lot of work. Always <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as we establish, I'm basically a lazy person. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, What's your most dreaded tool in the shop? What do you what do you want to use least? Oh boy, I'm gonna say that the the buffer's gotta be up there because I don't know why, but that is the most dangerous tool in the shop for me for whatever reason. I think maybe because you think ah, it's just a buffer, you know, you kind of let down your guard or something, but that is a knife throwing machine if you're not careful, man. My goodness. I just have one of those uh, long spindle uh, buffers that runs at like 1700 RPM or whatever, but even then I can get in trouble with that thing. It's dangerous. Yeah, I don't, I don't have one in the shop for just that reason. See, yeah, yeah. I, I bet the bullet and bought one, and I love it. Yeah, I do. I love it too, but I get in trouble. Kyle's an international man of mystery. Danger is his 
middle name. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's living on the edge. One of the things I never take off the left-hand side of my buffer is uh, one of those, I believe they call it like a convolute wheel or something like that. It's like basically the scotch bright material, but a lot harder. Oh. And I, I deeper yeah. everything with that. And it makes it so much faster, breaking the, the really sharp edges and stuff just so much quicker. Oh, yeah. So I've got a buffing wheel, but I put a Cravex wheel on it. Um, and I use it similarly, especially for like the Ricasso's and that kind of thing to, to knock the corners off and give them a polish. Right. But it's a, like a solid, hard material. It won't grab, it won't grab the way a, a cloth wheel will. So do you have, right. do you have that like in a postal grinder or is, um, it is actually one of the really ex- inexpensive Harbor Freight two disc grinders. And one side has the the stone wheel that came on it the day I bought it. And the other side has got the little Cravex wheel on it that I'll use for, for cleaning up um, cleaning up the Ricasso. Dan, get in the Harbor Freight action. Yeah. I, <laughs> man, I, I don't throw any hate towards Harbor Freight. I mean, it, I, you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is great bang for the buck. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you've got to overcome the shortcomings or the imprecision of the tools. But a lot of my vices are Harbor Freight. A lot of my clamps are Harbor Freight. Um, you can do a lot of work for not much money from Harbor Freight. Yeah. Oh, totally. But, I see. but you're going to have a lot of work on the backside trying to square stuff up. <laughs> yep. I buy about $20 worth of uh, table saw push sticks from them every year. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Shout outs. I forgot to. Uh, all right. We'll do that uh, next episode. Man, I new saw blades. They're awesome. We'll talk about it next episode, though. All righty. We'll make a note for it. Yeah, I'm having to write it down or I'll forget. I was going to say, what do you guys, speaking of sawblade, do you use uh, like porta bands or a full size bandsaw or? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. All of the above. Okay. Yeah. I've got a porta band. I've got a nine inch craftsman, uh, one that's pretty much just set up for wood. Uh, it's got a really high tooth, I guess, low tooth. It's like uh, four teeth per inch uh, that oh, I use geez. for cutting handle scales. And uh, I also use a table saw. Yeah. I have a 10-inch Craftsman table saw that I use. Yeah, that's pretty much what I do for scales. I was a furniture maker before I got into knives. So I've got, for working soft materials, I've got a a 14-inch jet because I used to to buy rough-cut lumber or or even lumber that hadn't been planked or repurposed lumber uh, to plank out. And then I've got a, a cabinet maker's uh, table saw. Oh, wow. And I recently had to bite the bullet and get a, a, a port-a-cable stand. It helped me. Uh, I was being really inefficient with my layouts on bar stock, especially with some of the kitchen knife handles and that kind of stuff that I could have nested them, and I didn't. And using the port-a-cable, I can, I can make some, some cutouts out of the bar stock and Sometimes I'll save eight or 10 inches of uh, waste on a single bar. Yeah, totally. But I do all my handle materials on my table. And I've, I've really, I've gotten spoiled by the table saw because uh, even for my bolsters and stuff, it cuts square enough that I, I'll i cut my bolsters on a table saw. Oh, wow. Yeah, I even got those uh, 
those washer things that you uh, mentioned quite a ways back when the the shop. Yeah, the stabilizers. Yeah, but I still still don't quite get my uh, my handle material uh, quite square enough with my my craftsman one. I feel I don't know if I'm just pushing it through wrong or. Well, the the short version is um, you're still gonna get drift and vibration on a craftsman table saw. It it is great. It is great for what it is, but the uh, the cabinet saw, like I've got a, a jet cabinet saw, mm-hmm. and it's just, um, there's a lot less vibration. There's a lot less drift. The blade stays a lot more true. Does yours have a, a riving knife that comes up like uh, kind of towards the top or? Um, it did. And I'm not on air. Am I going to discuss the modifications that I made to the saw to make it easier for me to work? I was just going to gotcha. say, careful here. Mine's <laughs> probably in similar condition. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, I, I bought one of the micro jig, uh, the little like metal plastic things that kind of you drill into your zero clearance insert and put a bit there. Cause mine, mine never had a riving knife. It was probably before that was even a, a thing. I think by, right. I think the guy I bought it from said he bought it in the sixties. So yeah, and, uh, it's been, it's pretty old. And mine's got guides on both sides. So I can use, um, feathers that'll hold, uh, hold oh, the working wow. plate, moving it across. And the other thing is, um, on some of the higher end tables, those guides will be less than a thousandth of an inch off of square from your blade, which if you're using the guide, you know, everything lines up nice and square. But if that's slightly off, then no matter how good a blade you're using or how perfectly you feed it, you're still going to be a few thousandths off. Mm-hmm. And that show when you start doing your glue up, glue ups. Yep. Uh, and that's just the, when I was doing furniture, the investment on this saw was absolutely worth it. If I was a knife maker getting ready to buy a table saw, it would have been wasted money. Right. Yeah, but it sure is nice to have now that you got it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of the advantages when I went into Andy's shop was I had been working with pretty much every tool that was in that shop already for years as a woodworker. Oh, right. Um so I was already experienced with, with everything we had worked with, which was phenomenal because when I switched my shop over, almost everything I was using, it was really just a matter of new jigs or new setups. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough. It, woodworking gave me a, a step up on when I started my apprenticeship. Yeah, very cool. What's one of your uh, most not enjoyable parts of the the knife making process always hand sanding anything that involves hand sanding is just the worst the worst that's another reason i you know and that, if people want one you know with a nice satin finish like that that's no problem but by and large if i can if i can get them to do you know that uh that uh, hammered finish or that mill scale, you know, hammered finish on the flats. I'm, I'm a happy man then. So I don't have to hand sand. Yeah. I don't like uh, doing the hand sanding on the blades or the, the finish work on the handles. Yeah. I, I don't mind the, the handle so much. I, I kind of like running over that with my hand just a little bit, just to, to get it tweaked out. But yeah, the blade is just the worst. I hate, 
I think everybody hates it. I don't know if anybody enjoys that. Um, I don't mind doing the work. It's just cost ineffective. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of enjoy the process of seeing it go from forge scale to a satin finish. But there's just no way to charge enough no. for the, the amount of hours you put into it. Yeah, exactly. And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> and then how quickly you can jack up how many ever hours of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you, you only make a mistake at that level once or twice before. Uh, well, it is very self-correcting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I use a little uh, tackle box with a, a lid on it that has uh, dividers that I, I cut my sandpaper into strips and keep them in there. And one time I I, I blanked and flipped the the 320 and 400 uh, uh, paper. Oh, no. So, so I had a real nice 400 finish that I thought was 320 and then went over it with 320. Oh, no. So, yeah, that was a little painful. The step up to 320 is taking forever to get the crack. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm going to reverse. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it only took me about or the like 10 swipes with the the 320 to realize that that wasn't that didn't look right and yeah. It took me a it's long time to get it back out. Oh my god, it's yes. It happened to all of us. Oh yeah, yep, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so um, you were on Forged in Fire, and uh, that was, I believe, was season seven, episode three, was what I have in the notes here. Yep, that's the one. What was your experience like on the show? Well, it the whole it kind of started with another uh, alone contestant. His name's Britt Ahart. He's been on the show twice. And same deal. I just kind of made a knife for him and we got to meet and he said, well, I know people at history. Have you ever tried to apply? And I said, well, no, I haven't. So he said, well, let me do some talking while shooting within a couple of days. I had uh, an application emailed to me. So he was real instrumental in uh, being able to get me uh, at least an audience, you know, and uh, get on the show. So, I mean, it happened way faster than I think it does for most people just because of him and, the, you know, the connection. So, yeah. but yeah, it was, uh, let's see, we filmed in May of this year and uh, then my episode aired in October. So what is that? Maybe five months of lag, probably. So how'd your, uh, how'd your first round go? The first round went really well. Um but I had never, no matter how much you try to prepare, you know, you're just not going to be ready for whatever they throw at you. So the steel they gave us was W1, which I never worked with in my life. I don't know if you guys have, but I never had. W1 or W1? Uh, I, I thought it was W1. Sounds right to me because it was a steel that I hadn't really ever really heard of. But yeah, um, I had never worked with that steel before, so... That you got to get W1 really, really freaking hot before you start to move it. So I was freaked out. I mean, it had to be damn near white hot, even with those big presses that they have to, to begin to move that steel around. So once I figured that out, then at round one, we were pretty well. Okay. And then you yours was the, the one where they had uh, 
the like five different knives and they said they want you to use the handle of one and the the blade of the other right yeah yeah so honestly they didn't really i mean i guess that was kind of a curveball but i knew right away what i wanted to make you know i mean just kind of with the tasks uh, they were giving us i said well it's got to be a kukri and since i can't use a regular kukri handle you know why don't we just throw a coffin handle on they had a coffin handle buoy and that seemed to be the, maybe the most effective, but probably the simplest for the job. You know, uh, I didn't want to go anything because they had a karambit on there and a dagger. I forget what all else was on there. I think there were five total, but uh, they gave us, they cut every knife in half and we, they told us to mix and match them uh, for TV, even though I already knew what I was doing. They said, act like you're trying to figure it out for a while, you know, so we can film it. Yeah. The, the TV drama on some of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yep. It's, uh, it's all, well, it's not all scripted. I won't say scripted, but yeah, you definitely do like a walkthrough and everything. And they tell you exactly where you want you to stand and what they want you to do when you get there. I mean, once you start forging, then you're on your own, but yeah, it's definitely, controlled so one of the things that i've always wondered is so like on some of the shows they'll have like they'll cut to when you're actually working on your your blades they'll cut to you like sitting in a chair talking to the to the camera do they do that all after and kind of like prompt you what they want you to kind of talk about what you were thinking when you were doing whatever that's exactly right and it's really difficult because they always keep coaching you to speak in uh you have to speak in current tense or you know you always say well i did this i did that they said no you didn't yet you haven't done that yet you know so they have to keep reminding you you got to change how you speak you know instead of past tense you're doing future tense or present tense so the interviews are kind of weird too that way Okay. Um, so as somebody who has had a blade break before, I'm going to have to ask you what went through your mind, dude, that was, I have never had a blade break before. Although I will say I never, uh, tested on an antler before, but I've given them hell on, you know, uh, logs and, and trees and brush and all that kind of stuff. But when that thing broke, cause it was, I think he hit that antler. It was like the fifth time. And it was just, it didn't seem real to me. I was just looking at it. And I think you can see this look on my face. I'm kind of looking at it and go, did that really just happen, man? I couldn't, it just did not compute for me for a while. Like the other guys are watching, oh man, they're, they're acting, you know, upset. And I'm just still looking at it like this doesn't, I, I couldn't believe it happened. That was, yeah, it took a while to sink in, man. Kind of in shock. Oh, totally, totally in shock. And the biggest part of it was because of the W1, you have to get it so hot to move, but you can't have it nearly that hot to quench. And the time frame, you know, the time factor just got to me. I'm like, I need to get this thing quenched so I can keep moving. When in fact it was, you know, I just still had it at forging temp rather than quenching temp. But, you know, I'm used to working with 1080 and 1075. It's just, you pretty much forge it uh, roughly the same temperature you quench it at, you know? So I wasn't used to that differential. Yeah. Uh, what is the quench or what is, what is the hardening temperature on it? Do you remember? Uh, on a, on a W1? Yeah. 
Yeah, I I think it's roughly the same as like a 1075 or something like that. You know, it's it's by eye, you know, it's pretty much just a cherry red if you if you get it to a cherry red, which is what maybe what 8 1600, 1800. Uh, I wow, I didn't think it was that high. Oh, okay. Maybe not even quite that high. I guarantee it was way too freaking high when I did it. No, I I was just surprised. Um, I haven't worked with W1 before, so I don't know. I was just curious. I was just surprised it would be that high. Yeah, I think it's a lot more similar to, you know, 1075, 1080, the way, the way I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know the Damascus that I use, it, it, it always says to do 1500 in the the oven and then quench in oh, okay. oil, hundred degree oil. Yeah, that's probably real similar. So I don't do any forging, so Right, right. I have no idea I have no no idea how to read colors. <laughs> right. And see I kinda amped that thermal <laughs> Yeah, see I kinda amped that up. I had done a little bit of forging, but once that kind of became a reality then yeah, I started getting crash courses from my buddy David at Northwoods Forge. Uh, all that stuff. So he, he helped me in short order, you know, get familiar with a lot of the things that I hadn't done yet. So, yeah. One of the best pieces of advice that I got, um, see, I guess I've been full time for eight years now and I had one blade and it was being used in an inappropriate manner, but it broke and I freaked out. And one of my mentors said, hey, first of all, you got to keep in mind, if you have made knives long enough, eventually one is going to break. That's just a statistical certainty. Yeah. The question now is, what are you going to do? And I said, I got a warranty. I'm going to I'm going to replace it free of charge. That's my warranty. He said, good. This is the best thing that could ever happen to you. Yeah. Like, how can breaking the best thing that ever happened? He said. Because up till now, your warranty was theoretical. Now yeah. it's proven. Now people will say, if anything goes wrong, son of a gun, he real, real fix. Yeah, he'll replace it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't really. Yeah, so a lot of people freak out. Yeah, I was. Yeah, it's not the end of the it, it sure felt like it when it happened on the show because I'm like, holy crap, I've been so excited to be on the show. Now I'm the guy that blade broke, you know, uh, never wanted to be that dude. <laughs> so, but, you know, um, when it, when it broke, you know, Jay looked at it and he saw that, you know, that was a micro fracture in there from quenching it too hot. And he looked around the room and to everybody and said, has who else has had this happen before? You know, and everybody raised their hand. They're like, yeah, it, it happens. So just inopportune time for me. But I was really worried about it. Yeah. You never want it to happen on national television. Of, of course not. Of course not. So, yeah, I was – I still really don't – I don't think – I watched it the first time, and I don't think I've watched it since. I just – I can't watch it. <laughs> yeah, I felt pretty bad for you when uh, when I saw that on the show. Yeah, that was so, you know, and I even because Jay Nielsen is the nicest dude on the planet. You know, he came up to me afterwards. I'm like, I, this is going to sink my knife business. He goes, nah, don't, don't worry about it, man. He goes, most everybody knows that you shouldn't be doing what I do uh, to these blades. So and it, it, I think that's proving out to be true. Um, 
But yeah, I'm sure there might be a few people out there going, yeah, no, I don't think I'm shopping there, you know? So I guess that leads into how has force and fire uh, affected your business? It, I guess I'll say it wasn't the immediate shot in the arm that I thought it would be. I thought, um, but honestly, since my blade, I'm the guy whose blade broke, I didn't know what to expect at all. It's all starting to come more now, you know, maybe I'm starting to get daily orders now. Uh, I guess it's two months later, you know, as a result of uh, being able to post that I was on the show and then having, you know, other different uh, various uh, fans of the forge and all that stuff posted things about our episode and stuff. So it seems to be like a delayed type thing, but I've been starting to get really busy. So it's been nice. I, and it's the, everybody who's been on the show, it seems like a real cool community. You know, they're real supportive of other dudes that have been on there, especially poor guys like me, whose knife broke, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can say the same about the knife yes, community totally. in general. In general. It's been some of the most supportive, understanding people I've ever worked with. Yeah, it's a lot like the veteran community I've seen, man, that just people will just go way out of their way to help you or give you information. Or I think that's a huge thing why I keep doing the knife thing. It's just such a cool community, you know, and you get to meet new people all the time. And everybody is just super helpful. Um, except to officers and pogues, they usually aren't supported at all. Well, see, and so far I had been doing a good job of uh, maybe not broadcasting that. And now, great. Well, it's the end of the road here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to blow you up. Yeah, when uh, uh, we had talked to you and I saw you were on the show, I was, uh, posted some, some stuff on the knife perspective. and Yeah, no, I appreciate it a lot, man. The exposure has been really, really cheering for you there. Uh, it's been a good thing. And, uh, it seems to be, uh, when it first happened, it was really bugging me and now I'm kind of over it. You know, I mean, it is what it is. And it's honestly, it's getting to the point where they're breaking two blades on a show. Now I've seen a lot of shows where they're just breaking everything, man. (laughs) Like the guy whose knife didn't break wins, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and part of that is they're trying to make it more and more dramatic, more and more stream Mm -hmm. yeah exactly let's face it um a lot of the stuff that's done in the testing that's not what you do with a knife (laughs) no (laughs) oh you split a hog carcass something that's made for that it's called a butcher's axe it's not a knife yeah (laughs) right well and there's a lot of things that are done in knife making that uh, aren't normally done in normal circumstances either you know because you're on the clock just trying to make anything work so I think the combination isn't necessarily a good one, but you know, it makes for good TV, obviously. Yeah. I remember watching an episode with my wife and she looked at me and said, three hours. I, I thought it took four hours to temper a knife. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah TV. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah Cause I, I usually do two, two hour soak times for my temper and she wouldn't let it go. She's like, no, I mm-hmm. thought you told me. I'm like, I just, just it's TV. <laughs> Unless you want to sit there and we'll stare at the oven. I've heard they they do a 
Yeah, I've heard that they do the the temper for you, that, and that was part of the reason why the the size requirements are usually the way they are, is so it fits in the the tempering oven. Oh, so they temp they do a proper temper. They do, yeah, um, because basically the first day is round one, and then round two is the second day. So they once you leave for the day, they do that temper while we're gone. I had wondered about that because there's some stuff I saw. I'm like, obviously, you didn't have enough time to temper a blade. Right. All right. right. That, that makes a little more sense to me now. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. The first the first day is like a 14-hour day. Did they, they make you put a bunch of makeup on you? <laughs> they did a little bit of makeup. And, uh, well, I was wearing a hat, too. So, but, you know, being follically challenged definitely isn't uh, – isn't necessarily the best combination where they're shining a bunch of lights at you with cameras and stuff. So yeah, they had to knock the, knock the shine down a little bit, I guess. <laughs> well, and, and probably losing about a half a gallon of water while you're forging. Oh my there. God. Yeah. That we felt terrible. They had, they give you a handler. Um, and basically it was this young lady that just graduated film school and uh, she had to basically babysit, you know, four sweaty guys who had to pee all the time. Right. Cause they're making you drink. They're just making you pound the water, which is great as you should, cause it's so hot in there. But yeah, she had to accompany us everywhere. Like go out to the bathroom, wait for you at the door. They were with you everywhere. Damn. In, in case you, you know, in case- some human growth hormone to help you on your yeah i got nothing i think peds are, that was a concern they're <laughs> cracking down i guess yeah some blood doping yeah i think so yeah. i think so hey it, if it melts you swing the hammer seven percent faster that gives you a distinct advantage over yeah. the, the the unmodified yeah, that's right i'm gonna have to look in it we might have to put an asterisk next to uh to the guy who won my episode, man, it could be, uh, we have to look into it. Anyone that won pre piss test, um, they get an asterisk. <laughs> they get an asterisk. Yep. That's right. You don't know if that was or not. And they'll never get into the knife hall of fame either. Nope. Nice. Uh, so where do you think the industry is specifically the knife industry is headed? What do you think? Uh, I guess it would be, what do you think the next big thing is or where do you think the industry's headed as as a whole? I keep kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop with you know the forged and fire thing because as you know, I mean, and and I'm I'm one of those guys that got my start because the forged and fire thing kind of sparked my interest in 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 addition to other things, but you know, how many people are in this business now because of that show and how many people are are doing things only two and three years in, you know, that, so I I feel like that's all going to come to a head. And I feel like at some point there might be a little bit of a thinning of that herd of uh, all these brand new guys that are coming because they were on the show and they've made 12 knives, you know, and maybe at some point that's going to come to a head, but I mean, it's still growing leaps and bounds. You guys know that it's, it's amazing to see how many people are on Instagram and stuff and their books are closed. You know, they're, they're busy, lots of guys. So let's just keep riding the wave, you know? Yeah. There was, there was a table by me that they, uh, they were on fortune fire. I, I don't remember what, or I don't remember ever seeing them on fortune fire, but, uh, they had like, 
over 150 blades on the table when they were all gone within 20 minutes of the, oh the early bird on the blade show. Yeah. So insane. So I think the advent of that, you know, is, is going to continue to, to grow the business and, you know, to a degree, at least it, it brings more attention to the industry and, uh, it helps people find the people who have been doing it for a lot longer and that type of thing, which is nice to see. Yeah, you, you think it'll be more of a voice to find the older guys that have put the time in or is it? A- I, I kind of feel that way. Yeah, I hope so. You know, because I feel like it's kind of like the building industry. You know, when times are good, every dude with a pickup and a skill saw is a builder, right? Um, and eventually when things slow down, then those guys tend to fall away. And I just wonder if at some point that's going to happen, you know, when, when this forge and fire thing kind of slow, I mean, they can't go forever. So, but like I say, I know I'm one of those guys that is a new guy because of the show to a degree too. So, but you still have to stay relevant no matter who you are. I think Yeah. Tom Crine was talking about a couple knife makers. He saw at the blade show and, they were super prolific knife makers that everybody's running right past their table and not even giving them the time of the day. Cause they don't know who they are. Cause they don't know who they are. Yeah. I've talked to several yeah. of my dealers that have talked about that. They deal with some really phenomenal knife makers that have really poor marketing and they can't sell. They can't sell their stuff that they are. Yeah. They're phenomenal makers. They're better than, than some of their successful lines but they can't sell it. And at the end of the day, it's a business that, you know, if you don't have the marketing side of the business, there's nothing they can do for you. Exactly. That has been my real focus lately. You know, learning, okay, you got a website. Great. Who's going to find it? How are they going to find it? You know? So all the marketing pieces, that's, I've been really working on talking to people smarter than me, you know, at, at that uh, marketing and what do you call that website optimization or search engine optimization, things like that. Mm. Yeah. I found that's yeah. where my dealers have really helped me out working through dealers. Sometimes it takes a little sting to give them, give them their cut, but they, they come through because they've spent the time or they spend the resources. They're figuring out how to push my brand out especially on, on internet, but so that it pops on search engines and that kind of stuff. And if they're doing it while I'm making knives, then I don't have to stop making knives to try and figure it out. Exactly. Yep. And that's, I kind of want to get into that boat too, because you guys know there's so many makers that are just awesome, but they're not a, the, you know, the internet is not their thing and B they're just, they're humble people. They don't want to act like they're bragging or shooting their mouth off or trying to call attention to themselves. They just want to make good products. And you know, it's just people don't know who they are as a result. So people trying to find you, how can they find you? Uh, at, at 51 Bravo on Instagram and 51 Bravo.com for my website. And I think it's facebook.com slash 51 Bravo on uh, Facebook for my page there too. So I keep up with all those a lot. That was what I learned in my marketing class that I took recently is, 
you know, be on there a lot and relative relevant content often. So I try to keep up with it. Very cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on tonight. Well, thanks for bearing with me and all my technical difficulties. Yeah, we'll cut all those out. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I mean, it's an extra 45 minutes to two hours of editing for Kyle, but I wouldn't worry about it. (laughs) I mean, I never. (laughs) Right, right. We'll sleep just fine, right? Hey, if some of your less intelligent comments make it into the edit, I, you know, it, it happens to me too. You can blame Kyle. You can, it's up to you. Uh, I think it's going to be hard enough for him to string together enough intelligent comments. You know, I think that's going to be the challenge. I think we have enough there. So you guys can keep in touch with the the podcast at uh, knifeperspective.com connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at knifeperspective.com and you can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher and TuneIn Radio and you can also uh, stream directly from the website on the the posts and make sure you check out on our we have a shop uh section and uh, we're selling some of the knife perspective stickers and to donate to Paxton's 5050 Forge the trying to raise some money for him and uh are we going to call it 50 50 or should we call it one in 10? One in 10? <laughs> I feel like we should call it the one in 10. What? I don't think we should go about changing his own or his business name, but. Uh, no, 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 not his company name, the, the, the raffle. The raffle. Uh, so uh, inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know everybody has the, the distaste with the raffle, all the things, but. Um, yeah, so we're trying to raise some money for him. And, uh, also on the, the shop page, there's a section you can donate some money to us. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to help Dan and I buy another beer or help pay for some of the other, uh, expenses with the podcast, there's a way for you to do that there. Some, some better editing software that'll make Kyle's job yeah. simpler. And we've got swag coming okay. soon. Shirts, hats, socks, whole yeah. lineup. We are going to have you head to toe knife perspective. Socks, nice. Yeah, socks. They're awesome. Uh, so uh, you can also uh, make sure to check out and uh, support our our uh, sponsor, Dragonfly Blade Works, and uh, John's a great guy who makes some awesome knives. Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com dot com and Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram, and you can get in touch with him via email the the slow boat uh dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com you can touch with me kyle daily at cagedailyknives.com and that's cage daily knives on facebook and instagram also and it's kyle at cagedailyknives or knifeperspective.com respectively with kyle thanks sean it's uh awesome to get to know more about you i never connected that uh, you and jason were were brothers that's pretty cool uh jason and i have been friends for a while so yeah, no, I thought you kind of knew that, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys, man. This is cool. No, you're a cool enough guy. We wanted to have you on the podcast without Jason's help. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, interview him once and then talk about editing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very cool. All right, guy. And uh, uh, before you wrap up, I did want to mention. Uh, if you want to check out Dragonfly, Dragonfly Blade Works, 
you can find their stuff on the Old Town website. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if they have – I'm not sure if you can buy on their website yet. I know he's working on some uh, – He's got to find a 15-year-old to program his website for him. <laughs> but in the, in the meantime, you can find his knives on the Old Town yeah. site. They said he also sells some through Instagram. So if you see something on there you like, uh, send him a message. Yeah, because his morals are totally negotiable, and he'll do pretty much anything from <laughs> well, that. It's the whole uh, – isn't that part of, like, the, the deal you sign when uh, – you become an apprentice with Andy that your, your morals have to be a little questionable. Uh, questionable. You got to fold them up and put them in your back pocket. And <laughs> check, check them every day. You gotta ask how badly do I want to learn to make knives? Nice. <laughs> check them at the door for two years. Yep. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you got to sign the contract at a crossroads at midnight should tell you something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, thank you, Sean. And, uh, yeah. Say good night, Dan. Good night, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good night, guys. Thank you very much. Well, let's take it to the edge. Because that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective.